program is brought to you by the Living Church Boise. This is Restart Hope with Pastor Joel Sicker on FM 94.1 The Voice. You're here, so let's jump into the word real quick, shall we? Um, G.K. Chesterton, a, a, a philosopher, a writer, a, a, you know, lay theologian is what um, you know they would define him as. Uh, he lived in, you know, died late, uh, oh, sorry, early 1900s. Um, G.K. Chesterton was a really smart guy. Uh, wrote some stuff that even C.S. Lewis, when he was an atheist, uh, was, was compelled to, to consider Christianity because of G.K. Chesterton's writings. Uh, G.K. Chesterton is called the, the, the Prince of Paradox. His writings are beautiful, man. It's simple, it's easy to understand, it's very humorous, uh, it's really good. G.K. Chesterton's books, if you can get your hand on it, uh, you would not regret it. Very, very, very amazing author. And he has a quote that I've used quite often. Um, one of my giftings is being an evangelist. I love sharing the gospel with people. Um, in fact, I think sometimes I don't know why God called me to be a pastor because I would love to be an evangelist. I would love to trade the pulpit for motorcycle handlebars, keep riding across the country and telling people about Jesus. G.K. Chesterton writes, he says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. It's not that Christianity has been tried and left wanting, but it's, it's, it's been found difficult and left untried. And for, for many years, I was like, man, that is, that is such a beautiful uh, quote by G.K. Chesterton. But this week, as I've been pondering on my journey, on my trip across America, sharing the gospel, and, and meeting people in, in our Treasure Valley and telling them about Jesus, I think in today's day and age, in our culture, there has to be a response to G.K. Chesterton's quote. Now, I don't by any means claim to be an intellectual person who can refute G.K. Chesterton's quote. In fact, there's an A.W. Tozer quote. I'm like, hmm, I don't know. Let's take that on. All right? <laughs> Anyways, my wife is like, you're an idiot. She's like, but I love you. <clears throat> Here's my response to this quote, and there's a reason why I want to share this with you. Please track with me. A version of Christianity has been tried by many with unrealistic expectations, with no biblical backing or Holy Spirit's discernment, and has been a huge letdown, never to be tried or experimented with ever again. When I go and share the gospel with people, I'm not talking to people who've never tried Christianity. They've tried a version of Christianity. Everybody that I've spoken to knows the name Jesus. They'll even tell me the, the Aramaic or the Hebrew name Yeshua. And will even tell me in Hebrew what it means. Most of the guys that I go share the gospel with know scripture oftentimes more than I do because they've been to Bible college. But they're atheists. In today's day and age, I'm sure when G.K. Chesterton wrote it to his people in the 1800s and the early 1900s, it was true that the name of Yeshua, the name of Jesus, was not being proclaimed and heralded to many people. But now we're living in a technologi technological age where people hear the gospel by the sermons on Sunday morning. Dear God, your Facebook is inundated with live streams from church. It's not that they've not tried Christianity. They've tried a version of Christianity that's not been biblically sound or doesn't have the Holy Spirit's discernment, and it's been a major letdown. The reason why I share this is important because sitting in the pews in many churches under the stained glass windows are those that have tried a version of Christianity and it's been a major letdown. And yet they continue to follow through in the religiosity of Christianity because they're scared to shake the boat. Because their family will look down on them and be like, you're not a believer anymore, you stop going to church. You don't read your Bible anymore. But if I were to sit down with you and tell you, I'm not going to judge you in any way, shape or form. I really want to know, has the gospel let you down? I wonder how many people in a room this size and people watching at home will say it has. The promises that it claims has not been realized or revealed in my life ever since I said yes to the gospel. Could it be possible that we're following 
a gospel of Christianity that's letting us down because it's not biblically sound. It lacks the Holy Spirit's discernment. Could it be possible that we're just chugging along because that's what we've always done? Because that's what our parents taught us. Um, in a book, um, I forget the book's name, but this guy talks about uh, Bill Cosby when he was becoming famous and he, uh, he started earning a lot of money. He, he bought his mother a toaster because his mother would always toast bread on the stove, on the, on, you know, on the pan. And he's like, I got money now, I'll buy you a toaster. And he goes back a, week, a few weeks later to, to visit his mother and the toaster is sitting on the fridge. And he says, you haven't used the toaster and she was quiet. And, and he thought maybe she didn't like the brand, she didn't like the way it worked. So he go, went and bought the most expensive toaster he could find in his time. <laughs> toast goes down now. I don't know. That was an old person joke, no. And a few weeks later, he goes and he visits his mom and he sees two boxes of toasters sitting on the fridge. And so he takes it and he says, I don't know why you haven't used it. Let me show you how to use it. And she got angry and she said, no, put it away. And he, and he said, why not? And she said, that's not how we make toast. That's just not how we do it. This morning, I want to challenge you to change the way you've done Christianity, the way you've seen the gospel, the way you've seen Jesus, the way you've seen what the gospel is and what you think you should do. Because I think God wants to convict us of areas that the church typically doesn't address or talk about. I was talking to my wife because she grew up in a Christian home. And what I'm going to share with you typically is not spoken of in homes when it comes to the gospel. So the question that we got to ask ourselves when you ask yourself, are you, is, is your Christianity just making toast on the stove when God is giving you something you know, amazing with his blessings, like we're stirring a passion in your soul, and are you going to ignore it and leave it on the fridge, or are you actually going to be like, I want to take it, I want to, I want to embrace this, this beautiful, it's not a new teaching, it's only what's been taught, but God is bringing it to your attention, and are we going to embrace it and walk in it? The question we have to ask ourselves is this. What would be your eager expectation in life? What is your eager expectation in life? And I think that gives us a hint into seeing what is it that the, what's the gospel that you have embraced? What's your eager expectation? We're going to look at this, this word in, 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 in the book of Philippians. The, the picture of this word is your neck being stretched out to look around the corner, your eager expectation. And when I was writing this, I was like, maybe I should write, what's your eager expectation in your Christian life? You see, again, we fall in this Christian rut. Whereas it's supposed to be your Christian life, your work life, your home life, it's all Christian life. So we shouldn't segregate that and be like, what is your eager expectation in your Christian life and what's your eager, eager expectation in your work life and your home life? No, it's all the same. So when you're stretching your neck and trying to like, like stir up passion in my heart, we sign that, right? What is your eager expectation in life? And I think those answers that you answer will give you a hint if the gospel that you've embraced is actually the true gospel that the Bible preaches and talks about or is it just something that's watered down that has no biblical backing or the Holy Spirit's discernment? Paul, it, we're going to use him as an example but I want you to know that those who respond to the gospel, see what I'm going to share with you is going to take some courage to wrap your hands around, to wrap your arms around. It's going to take a lot of humility to be able to let go of your ways and to embrace what the Bible actually says. It's going to be very biblically sound, don't worry. But the people that actually responded to the gospel, they never felt shortchanged. Please listen to me. If you're sitting in as a believer and you feel like, man, this Christianity thing, like, mm, yeah, you know what? I've been given a shot for 20 years. It's not really made a difference in my life. When I look at the gospel transforming people's lives, that's not how they felt. 
So that itself should be a clue that what you're walking in is false, it's wrong, it's not biblically based. Because the people that respond to gospel, they went crazy. There was a definite change in them. There were people who left their businesses, man. Peter, Andrew, James, and John walked away from their father's business and followed a Jewish carpenter who claimed to be the son of God. They, they were like, dude, let go of the nets. I'm walking with you. There was Zacchaeus. Dude was a short guy on a tree. Sees Jesus. He's stirring a passion in his heart. He's like, I want to see Jesus. And then he, Jesus comes and he has a meal with him. He's like, dude, you know what? I'll give all my belongings away. In front of everybody, he walked away. Tax collectors in the day had to spend a lot of money to buy a table to be able to sit and collect tax. And it will possibly pass on from generation to generation because it's super expensive to get that position. And once he's done, people still hate him because he was a tax collector and he's got to go get a job building houses or I don't know what it was. He gave away all his possessions. Think about this, not just the rich and the elite, the prostitutes, the women that were looked down on in society. See, the gospel was not just for the rich and the elite that had to repent and be like, well, I've been stealing from people, so I'll stop wearing my Armani suit and I'll just wear a t-shirt now. The prostitutes that were half-dressed, that was brought and thrown before Jesus to be judged and criticized and stoned to death. They were transformed by the gospel. They were transformed in such a way that they were willing to bring all their life savings and pour it on his feet and wipe it with their hair. Not caring about the ridicule or the judgment of the self-righteous, stuck-up, arrogant religious folks. The gospel does something, guys. And, 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 and this, is, this is it. This is, for me, I'm an uneducated guy, but, but, but when I read the Bible, and when I look at my life, and I look at Christianity, it bothers me. Because I don't see what we claim the gospel being applied in our life. If we say the gospel brings an eternal impact and an eternal change, it's got to show in our life, right? I mean, if you say that you're on a diet and you've been working out for three years, it's got to show. If you say that you're going to school and you're studying a language, I would expect you to be able to say a few things in that, in that language. But if we say that we're embracing the gospel, this eternal, beautiful transformation, change, courage, and peace, and love, we've got to be able to see that. Paul, he had this beautiful religious mindset. By the way, the title for this message is Great Expectation. And I hope it's building expectation in you. Because when you respond to this gospel, the true gospel that's biblically based, you've got to see these changes in you. You're going to leave these doors very different, exploding with dunamis, with power that the Holy Spirit gives. Paul, he was a very intellectual man. He was growing and being groomed by the best teacher in Israel, Gamaliel. He was smarter than all his classmates. He had zeal that superseded anyone that was around him. He didn't let anyone or anything get in the way of his religious beliefs. He snuffed out any hint of Christianity, murdering Christians, traveling from place to place, binding them, tying them, bringing them back, and torturing them. But his belief was lacking. What he had in zeal and wisdom, he lacked in relationship that transforms everything about you. Oftentimes, Christianity fails us because like Saul, before he was Paul, we follow a set of religious beliefs, dogmas, doctrines, in hopes to be made right with God and find peace in our lives. But instead, what you're left with is something that we don't talk about very often. Instead, what you're left with is overwhelming shame. Shame that gets worse because now, with your mouth, you're professing a lifestyle of freedom, but deep inside that darkness, that stench, that stink, you do not know what to do with it. And that's what you're left. You're left with overwhelming shame, crippling shame. You're left with overwhelming fear of being caught, of being found out. 
And Satan loves to use this because he says, hey, hey, you go to church, you say you're a Christian, and if people really saw who you were, if they really knew what you're thinking, if they really saw your past, if they really knew what you're hiding in the dark, your whole cover will be blown, so shut your mouth. Don't say anything about the gospel. So you're left with crippling fear, with extreme shame, and the lifestyle of that is pretty much what you see in Christianity today. Overwhelming apathy with anything spiritual. It's a punch-in, punch-out religion. We don't want anything new. We don't want any new conviction. We don't want to go to a place where God can read your mail and convict you and bring your sin to the light and say, repent, let's deal with the shame. Instead, we'll be like, I'll just step away like a cockroach that lives in the dark. I'll just be happy knowing a few things, knowing that I'm saved and just sit over here, but not really walk in the freedom that the gospel is supposed to bring. I know this introduction is long and it was necessary because what I want to share with you I believe will prepare you like never before to live for Christ and to die courageous deaths. I'm taking my three points from one verse in the book of Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be finishing our chapter 1 finally. We started the series Essential Joy a couple of months ago and um, we had to take a break and we're coming back to it and we're going to be finishing chapter 1 today but I'm going to get my three points from this one verse. Philippians 1 verse 20. Paul says, it's my eager expectation. I asked you, what is your eager expectation? Life? What are you sticking your neck out for hoping to have? My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be at all ashamed. The way it's written in Greek, it's very, uh, the emphasis, that three words that he uses, boom, boom, boom. No more shame. I will not live a life of shame. And, and the gospel does that. And then he says, but that with full courage, you see, again, the emphasis, full, not just be courageous, but with full courage, we, start, we sang, let it overflow, let this courage be abounding. In other words, you take a pot of water and you start pouring, it's just overflowing and it keeps on flowing, full of courage. I will not be ashamed, but that with full of courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So three things I'm going to be pointing out is, essential joy that comes from the gospel will overcome your crippling shame. Essential joy will do away with this fear and essential joy will convict you and confront you of your apathy and will wake you up to serve your risen Savior. Let's pray and we'll jump into this. You ready? You excited? Very good. My Father, my King, you are God and we are your creation. And you being God, you didn't choose just to leave us the way we are in our sin, in our sickness, in our arrogance, in our foolishness, in our lies. That's all the time we have for today, but we would like to hear from you. Our address is P.O. Box 2014 Eagle, Idaho 83616. You can also listen to this message and more on the Living Church Boise app, available in your app store. 